0: Welcome to the Open Book Unbound podcast. Morning Marjorie. Hi Claire, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How
1: are you? Fine. Although, there's a huge amount of bird song outside my window today. You all might get a treat in hearing lots of extra tweets out there. I've decided that maybe lockdown means that I have to kind of fast forward into the twitching stage of life. Is that what it's called? Twitching? Twittering?
0: Twitching, I think, is being a bird watcher. Twittering, I think, is something totally different. <laughs>
1: <laughs> are you good at identifying which birds are singing?
0: I can identify quite a few by... Th- sight but not by sound although we did have a woodpecker in our garden yesterday which is really easy to identify by the sound it makes (laughs) there's no prizes for spotting that one
1: wouldn't it be amazing though if you came out of lockdown being able to identify birdsong I think I'm terrible at it I also can't remember the sounds that they make long enough to actually listen it would be a skill that I'd really like to have
0: I think there's apps now that help you with that sort of thing. I certainly saw an app the other day which you could download onto your phone you take a picture of a plant in your garden and it identifies the plant for you. Which I definitely need, I'm terrible (laughs) at knowing what's what. Can just about manage the herbs that are growing in pots just about remember what they are but I'm not very good at other plants.
1: Do you forget what you plant like buy things, plant them and think, hang on, what was that again? (laughs) I have some vegetables growing um in little planting pots. the balcony and i've forgotten what they were but they're doing really well (laughs) so i'm curious to see what comes out of them in in some time at the moment they have about six leaves each so we'll see it's a mystery herb vegetable no idea what's going to come out maybe i could do with that app so today we have two poems and a lovely short story The first poem will be one by Meg Bateman, translated from the Gaelic, called Lightness. And then we're reading one of the wonderful 365 stories by James Robertson, this one called A Hebridean Love Song. And we're going to finish up with a poem by Nina Cassian called Temptation. Will I get us started on the first poem, maybe? It's called Lightness. It was your lightness that drew me, the lightness of your talk and your laughter, the lightness of your cheek in my hands, your sweet gentle, modest lightness. And it is the lightness of your kiss that is starving my mouth and the lightness of your embrace that will let me go adrift. I love this idea, this repetition of the word lightness. By the time you say lightness, how many times did I say it? You know, there's six or seven times of the time if lightness doesn't feel very light as a word. For me, it's quite a
0: difficult concept
1: lightness I mean what is lightness you know
0: I was playing my flute the other day and my teacher was saying like this bit should be played with lightness and I was thinking what does that actually mean I need some more words around that to help me understand what you want me to do what lightness is it was your lightness that drew me so I find it hard to pin down what that characteristic is
1: I always think about this in terms of a writerly way, when I remember hearing Kay Ryan say that she's forever looking for things to be lighter in her work. And I don't think she means like light verse, you know, that doesn't actually have any meaning. But I think it's that it's easy to be heavy, and it certainly is for me, a lot easier to be heavy. Maybe it's the thing that we talk about quite a lot, that idea of giving the other person space or giving the reader space. In the context of text, we quite often talk about making room for a reader in a text. And that's that's the sort of thing that we enjoy in open book, so that you all can kind of have your own views but maybe she means that in terms of a person as well that there's room for her in the room
0: yeah so you're not overpowering the person or the space by yourself I mean there's parts of it that I completely can understand I can understand the lightness of your kiss and the lightness of your embrace and for me that lightness is gentleness and softness but it was your lightness that drew me. I find much more difficult to understand what's being said. But if your expression is right, then it makes it much clearer. So the fact that you give me space in a room, or that you give me space in your circle draws me to you.
1: Yeah, well, because we all know the sort of domineering characters in a room who kind of eat up all the oxygen forever telling stories or managing the space that they're in. So it feels like she's saying, "Yeah, the lightness of your talk and your laughter, it allows me to engage, it allows me to be present which makes sense to me the thing that doesn't make sense to me about this poem and I I always wonder about poems translated what we're missing in the translation but that idea that the lightness of an embrace lets her go adrift and I don't know whether the adrift means that kind of old adage of if you love something you let it go or if it just means it allows her space to go and then come back again it's hard for me to think it's the latter because she ends on the word adrift so it's almost like the lightness of this person has let her go.
0: Do you know what I thought of? I thought of, you know, if you've ever had one of those inflatable rubber dinghies and that if you have it at the beach in the days where there was no health and safety when I was a child growing up by the seaside, you would pin it into the sand and it would just bob along and it would be adrift but tethered. So I think for me that adrift is sort of finding your own way, bobbing along in your own way without being pinned to a path that is prescribed.
1: Yeah, that's a really nice way of thinking about it. Again, it's about having the space to be yourself, isn't it? And about kind of yeah, creating a circle that allows someone to express themselves or to go off and find themselves or do whatever it is that they need to do. In that same way that you're saying about the dinghy, you know, the kind of you can bob along or do where you go where you need to go, but always come back.
0: And and you're still tethered even though you are drifting. You just. Walking Wondering your own path
1: yeah there's a lot of freedom in that you know there feels like in the freedom it's strengthening in some way
0: it's that sense of because you know you've got that security and that rock it lets you have the ambition and the courage to go off and drift away
1: shall we swap over and read a bit of the 365 story and see if it connects in any way to it
0: Yeah, and I'd like to say another thank you to James Robertson for the words and Aidan O'Rourke for the music and Kit Downs for the harmonium for giving us the freedom to use these wonderful stories and music in our newsletters and to use the stories in our podcast. A Hebridean love song, 20th February. Where did he come from, that man with the shining smile? He came in a long dark coat and dark was his face beneath the broad brim of his hat. But when he lifted that hat and gave his smile, if my heart had been of ice, it would have melted in the warmth of it. We had had the news of his coming from Oban, and we had had it from the fishing boats of Barra, and all up the long road from Elchboysdale to Gerenish, the word of his approach came to us like the tap of his fine black boots. Whiter than lambs in May were his teeth, and his hands were like two brown trout from the loch. When he showed me his wares, and I saw the length of his fingers, I wished to bring them to my lips and make them wet with my kisses. Then he sat down across from me and drank his fill of tea, and Peggy Mora was at the drying green, but I did not invite her to join us. And though it was not proper, I fetched a little whiskey from the press and even if it was against his faith, did he and I not drink it? Will we stop there just for a minute?
1: Yeah. What do we
0: make of this man? Oh, I'd quite like to meet him, I think.
1: Might, <laughs> b- might brighten up lockdown. <laughs> Actually, what I'm more curious about is sort of less him and more her, you know, the speaker. Yeah, right? who's she? Well, and I kind of worry that she's I hate to say sad woman, but the sort of sad, lonely woman that's sort of taken by this man in a long, dark... Coat. I mean, he sounds a bit kind of scary-looking, long, dark coat and dark face and broad brim of his hat. Unlike you, he's not my kind of person, I don't think. Bit
0: of intrigue
1: there. <laughs> <laughs> There's a part of the cynic in me wonders if she would have been equally interested in anyone who would rocked up.
0: I don't know. I mean, I think the fact that the news travels before him up the long road gives me a sense that everyone's quite excited about his coming or certainly he's worthy of conversation.
1: Could anyone have turned up? And she would have been excited by that. Is it the fact that he's a stranger, is that the excitement rather than the person that he really is?
0: I think if that's true, that's maybe true for everybody in that community. The excitement of someone visiting a remote community, it doesn't matter who it is.
1: And what worries me about that is that that there's a little bit of a caricature in here of a woman on her own and hearing about the, the stranger coming up and the... Words scintillates through the fishing boats, and of course she's already wanting to take his hands and cover them in kisses. I think, ugh. Uh, well I think that gives I think she's quite feisty
0: and she's got something about her when she gets the whiskey out and she doesn't invite the neighbour in and she wants them all to herself and are you picking up sadness? Because I kind of thought she was quite up for a bit of fun.
1: I'm not picking up sadness in her character I'm worrying about the kind of writing of her as a particular kind of caricature of a woman kind of feisty old woman on her own when and happy when the stranger comes. Maybe she'll surprise us at the end. I do love the idea of taking a little whiskey from the press and even if it it was against his faith. First of all, how would she know if it was against his faith? But even if it was against his faith, he drinks it. I like that exchange for sure.
0: I like all the nature references in the description of him. The teeth were whiter than lambs and his hands were like two brown trout. I think that's quite, I wouldn't necessarily have thought to describe someone in those terms, but I guess it fits with the location we find ourselves in. It's a gentle way of writing really calming and peaceful
1: it definitely feels like a little myth is the wrong word but it feels like something you could almost an oral story that you would pass down it feels like it could be spoken it's not tricky or complicated and that's a real trick of good writing I think is that you don't notice the writing if you know what I mean we say this quite a lot if you're stumbling over the words or having to notice the way an author's put something for me it doesn't make for good writing because you're so engaged in thinking about the author and the writing you're not really engaged with the story so these stories for me you quite often look up at the end of them think oh yeah and you're so busy with the story you've forgotten to notice the writing
0: and you get so much. I mean, it's very sparse. You know, the neighbour that isn't invited and the drying green and the whiskey in the press and the reference to faith give you so much to think about and wonder about.
1: I find that quite remarkable. Even in the first half of this, we've got a huge amount about her and a lot about the kind of way the lower works in the area. So we know she's near Barra and Oban and we know quite a lot and we know he wears fine black boots and a, a hat and a long dark coat. So we know quite a lot about him as well and has a smile that would melt ice. Although you seem to like him more than I do.
0: Well, let's read on
1: and see if you like him <laughs> any better. Okay. They've had the drink. Here we go. And on the bed he laid the clothes he had brought all the way from Glasgow. Such beautiful things I hardly dared touch them, nor could I look at him when asking their price, knowing they were too dear and too delicate for such as I. So he folded them all away, save one. And that one he gave to me. Deep it is in the bedroom kissed, still in its tissue paper, and never will I wear it. And he spoke of the land of his people and how at nights he dreamed of returning there. Where did he go, that man with his shining smile? He came in a long dark coat and lovely was his face beneath his hat. And when he put his fingers to my lips, It was to stifle my cries of joy, and Peggy Moore was at the drying green, but I did not invite her to join us. Do you like him any better? No. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> Do you? Like a many less?
0: I think as you say, the the whole story has that sense of an oral tradition, doesn't it? Even the way that it's written, the the way the words are crafted together, too delicate for such as I and never will I wear it, doesn't say too delicate for me or I won't ever wear it, the way we would speak now. It is crafted to have that mythological feel and sense about it you know he comes from this mythical Glasgow
1: I can't tell whether it's almost a cautionary tale you know it's obviously a love tale but you know as the mother of two young girls I do think could be a cautionary tale as well you know the kind of dark stranger comes and you give him a bit of whiskey and he gives he leaves something behind and it's more than a kiss shall we say they've known each other in
0: the biblical sense
1: (laughs) suddenly the story gets more and more outrageous but you know it does feel like he's kind of Oh, okay. The cynic in me is like, he comes along with his beautiful stuff, takes advantage of the lonely women out on the aisles and leaves. And who knows what they're really like? (laughs) I've turned into a real cynic today. Maybe they're just tats and she can't tell. Who knows? I
0: mean, for me, that's the sad bit. It's not necessarily that he came and they had this liaison. She has this experience to look back and cherish if she does cherish it, it's the fact that she'll never wear that beautiful piece because it's too dear and too delicate.
1: I thought you were going to say that she'll never know where he went or wonder, but no, you, <laughs> that's a well, no, difference between <laughs> I think her expectation
0: is that he won't necessarily come back, don't you think?
1: Well, my expectation
0: was that he wouldn't leave, that he would fall in love
1: with her and stay
0: now who's the cynic
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well I mean her question is where did he go or why did she not go with them that's what makes me kind of wonder about him which is you know if it was truly extraordinary love affair that kind of moment where your ice would melt why has he gone away And, and that's her question where did he go it's more that that connection was made and then broken again.
0: She keeps that piece in the kist. And the kist, I think, traditionally, was a sort of carved wooden box where you would put your wedding trousseau before you got married or the clothes you knitted for your baby, or she tucks it away in this tissue paper and never wears it in the kist. For me, it has a sort of sadness about it.
1: And there's also something there about, which is something I'm really interested in, the idea of where you're from and returning to the places that you're from you know so obviously she's anchored in the place to where she lives and she hasn't left it and then he's speaking of the land of his people which i don't think is glasgow and at how at night he dreams of returning there and so i think there is this thing about embedded in the story about it's a love story and it's about Loss, but it's also about where we belong, and it leaves the question open because she's in the place that she is from, presumably, and has grown up in, presumably. She hasn't left it, you know, she hasn't gone with him, and he's still searching for that place. So I feel sorry for her that she's tied, and I feel sorry for him that he's away from the place that he feels tethered to or kind of anchored to. What I find is quite often people who are anchored to a place are curious about the rest of the world and feel that they would love to go and see it, and then those who are traveling the world, are kind of hankering for home. And I just wonder if it's a state of who we are that we're never quite at rest, however we find ourselves, if that makes sense. I don't know what the equal balance will be, but I think back to what we were talking about with Meg Bateman's poem, that idea of being adrift, of being tethered. Neither of them seems to have that in this story. You know, she's properly tethered down, and he's adrift but doesn't seem to have that tether, what is desperate to get back.
0: It's a real grass is always greener view, though, isn't it? Whatever you have, you want something different. And I do wonder if that's just part of the human condition. That's how discoveries are made. That's how, you know, inventions are completed, because we're constantly striving for something that we don't have, or we think is possible or out there or findable.
1: And I wonder sometimes whether those who are most successful don't have that sense of anchor, or are less concerned with it. You know, so often the people that you find that have had remarkable lives and have achieved so much are people who are able to get away from. That sense of anchor, even though that benefits them in some way, they're sort of able to cut that free.
0: And it comes back, I think, to what makes you happy as well, what gives you contentment. If you're the sort of person who's constantly moving, constantly searching, I envisage that you're not perhaps as content as someone who is wholly happy and fulfilled in the spot they're in, and therefore maybe doesn't go out and Travel so much, or find so much, or explore so much, but passes their life in true contentment with what they have and where they are. It's interesting which you would aspire to to have, which you would want.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I would say the opposite. I would say you know, happiness is being able to be happy in any place that you're in. You're able to see the good in any of your surroundings. So it doesn't matter what city you're in, and it doesn't matter where you're living. That actually, you'll see the small joys.
0: Yeah, but maybe you don't search out those moves to different cities if you're happy where you are, if you know what I mean, if you have the luxury of that choice.
1: Yeah, whereas for me, that's about curiosity and just being interested in the rest of the world. I could quite happily see myself going lots of different places and searching the mountain because it's the curiosity of wanting to know more, but knowing that wherever I land, I would be happy and having less of an anxiety about finding myself unhappy in some unknown place. It's a totally different way of seeing things. It's interesting. But again, you know, you think about my, as we've talked about on this podcast before, one of my favorite poets, Wendell Berry, has never moved. You know, he just finds something new in the place that he's in every day so I think it can cut both ways really. And it certainly has in this story, right? He's off wandering and she's where she is. Who knows whether either of them are truly happy? That's the nice thing about these stories is we we don't know. We can decide or you all can decide and tell us what you think. Shall we look at our last poem today?
0: Yeah. This one is called Temptation by Nina Cassian and it's translated from Romanian. Temptation Call yourself alive. Look, I promise you that for the first time you'll feel your pores opening like fish mouths, and you'll actually be able to hear your blood surging through all those lanes and you'll feel light gliding across the cornea like the train of a dress. For the first time, you'll be aware of gravity like a thorn in your heel and your shoulder blades will ache for want of wings. Call yourself alive? I promise you you'll be deafened by dust falling on the furniture you'll feel your eyebrows turning to two gashes and every memory you have will begin at
1: genesis I love this poem that idea of gravity being a thorn in your heel is beautiful
0: and the hearing deafened by dust when I first read that I you know that made that was a line that made me just stop and Think, wow, imagine being deafened by dust falling on the furniture. <laughs>
1: where well, your pores opening like fish mouths, this beautiful image of giving a very physical thing that we all can picture to something that we can't, you know, but we probably have all experienced that idea of suddenly in a sauna, in a less romantic scenario or something where you suddenly start to sweat and you really can feel your pores open. She puts it such a lovely graphic image with it. We're back to that idea of being anchored down. Temptation somehow allows us to recognise the anchor that holds us back, or the thing that we don't recognise, that we don't have wings.
0: When I first read this poem, I went back to think, well, why is it called temptation? You know, what is the temptation in the
1: poem? I assumed it was the sort of temptation that the woman in our story had. I assumed it was a romantic temptation.
0: I wondered if it was the temptation to go and do something that you shouldn't. You know, that makes you feel alive if you you do something you shouldn't and you get away with it. You know, that sort of adrenaline rush.
1: I mean, I'm trying to think if I've ever been tempted in that way, that kind of overwhelming desire to do something. Yeah, I
0: really remember very clearly as a th- maybe six or seven year old living in a cul-de-sac and having one friend who lived on the same side of the road and one friend who lived across the road and being allowed to go and visit the friend on the same side, but not being allowed to cross the road without asking permission. And I remember one day just crossing the road without permission and just the, the pull, the temptation was just too strong. And did it and got caught and then was grounded for however long.
1: Oh, you were caught? That's terrible. Yeah,
0: I foolishly did it when my mum was changing the bedsheets in her bedroom, which looked over the street and she saw me out the window.
1: <laughs> well and truly nabbed I was. Think how your life could have turned out differently if you hadn't been caught. God, what would you have gone on to do? Rob banks and, you know.
0: And I even, and I even remember what happened as well. My I had been given a scooter for my birthday. And my scooter was put in the coal shed for two weeks.
1: Well, I can tell that that still pains you. It's uh, yeah, it's
0: clearly stayed with me though. I would say I'm pretty <laughs> risk averse these days. <laughs>
1: So then the moral of the story is if you're going to do something that you're not meant to do, make sure you pick a a better moment. Look up over your shoulder before you do it. (laughs) Don't get caught. I quite often jokingly say to my children as they go out, don't be naughty. And if you do, if you are going to be naughty, don't get caught.
0: My mum used to say to me before I went out, mind your handbag. Just everything. It was just every concept of don't get caught, be good, don't do anything I wouldn't do, behave, all rolled into those simple words. Mind your hand back.
1: I mean, I think because my parents were so strict, you know, growing up that I was always worried about yeah getting caught or doing something. It wasn't so much the danger of what I was doing. It was more getting told off by my parents that I was worried about but lately, not when they were little, I obviously wouldn't say don't get caught. But now I, I think it's quite amusing to kind of give them a little bit of leeway and say, don't be naughty. And if you are, don't get caught. Just because I think the reality is children are doing that anyway. So giving them a little bit more leeway than I had maybe. Because it, it amuses me because, of course, by the time your parents become grandparents, they're forever the ones encouraging children to do things you're not meant to be doing. So I figure I might as well get ahead of the game on that one a little bit. But I do recognize in this poem that idea that, so I was assuming it was a kind of romantic temptation. but. Actually, when you say it could be anything else, I think, oh, yeah, I do kind of remember that kind of heightened awareness when you're doing something you shouldn't be doing or you're somewhere where you shouldn't be. You know, as a teenager, if I was meant to be at the library studying and I was at the shopping mall or whatever, back in the days when we didn't have phones and no one could track you, you know, I would forever be looking around thinking watch my mother turn up here you know something else so that kind of heightened awareness of sound and everything else um, I really recognize in the poem too
0: the line you'll feel your eyebrows turning to two gashes that's a real focus isn't it of that heightened awareness you're so aware that you can even feel your eyebrows on your face
1: yeah and that repeated question call yourself alive well you don't feel alive until you do this you know or until you're I'm not even convinced that in the poem, the person does it. It's just the temptation itself is enough to bring it on. And maybe it's the resisting of, of whatever she's tempted by. I don't know. But in my mind, the, the experience of I've had with that kind of heightened awareness is is when I have gone ahead and done something I shouldn't have done, for sure. It's a lovely um, reflection on what it feels like to maybe think about or cross the line. In my mind, anyway, the woman in our story has crossed a line. She's certainly been tempted, and I don't know how she feels about it at the end, but certainly... A heightened awareness is is at the very least what I get out of the story and the poem. Good pick this week. Thanks for
0: directing me to this one. I hadn't come across it before and I do always enjoy reading something in translation.
1: I think in some ways you can kind of hear the change in language, which is lovely. Um, It's a shame that neither of us speak the two languages that they've come from. But if anyone out there does and wants to read them to us and record them, please send them along because we'd love to hear them. Yeah. Shall we have a quick check through our roundup for the week? Yeah, we've had a really busy week at Open Book. So much for quiet in pandemic or lockdown. We've had 18 creative writing groups back up and running. And six of our shared reading groups as well as a a number of our public groups back up and starting anew as well. So we've had a whole resurgence of groups coming back online. And it's really just terrific to see what was a really busy organization getting just as busy again. It's great, although all online, which means lots of you can participate from wherever you are and wherever geographically you are as well. So that's been a really lovely thing this week.
0: And we've been doing a little bit of work just to find out how you feel about things being online. And obviously, our first choice would be to be meeting in person. But while we're not able to do that, really to work on how we can make the online sessions just as good for everyone as possible. So thank you so much to the 71 people who filled out our digital survey. 100% of the people who filled that in said they felt more positive after an open book Zoom group. So that really made our day. And 100% of the people who responded also said that the zoom group made them feel more connected to other people which was great for us because really that's the whole point of what we're trying to do is to keep those connections going in difficult times so there were some lovely comments Um, someone told us that they felt like an open book group was like a warm hug and someone else said that it's such an invaluable resource in normal times but especially now when we all need to find new ways of connecting with others and encouragement to keep reading, writing and thinking. So thank you again to everyone who took part in that survey.
1: And following on from that is a lovely comment from one of our groups this week, um, saying that the groups, uh, it's not social distancing, it's socialising distantly. And that we don't know each other, but we can strike up an instant rapport. So it's lovely to hear that um, we're managing to connect you all together together in the ways that we normally do in person online as well so it's lovely to hear that back because we were concerned about that but it it sounds like it's going well and i'm surprised by the groups that i've joined how quickly people build this rapport
0: and I loved hearing from Mary, who's one of the lead readers at the Open Door Cafe group. Um, she reported to us this week that she was delighted to welcome back one of her members who had been tracked down by another lead reader who had managed to get in touch with the daughter of the lady concerned, who then went round and got her mum set up on Zoom. Our, our group member was able to join her open door group for the first time since lockdown and Mary said it was so lovely the gang are nearly all back together and it was great to have six faces on the screen this week so um, that brought a smile to our faces and and thanks too to Michelle for dropping us a line to say how much she enjoyed the Helen Sedgwick story she passed on that she's going to share it with a group of science researchers for their tea break listen so we wonder what they'll make of that
1: I wonder whether they think we're right or wrong about the way scientists behave on their breaks. It'd be good to hear. (laughs) And we've had great success with our Unbound newsletter this week, which has made it to the US, Australia, Austria, and France. It had a thousand opens in the first 48 hours. So we're really, grateful to um, everyone who's receiving it and passing it on and clicking it through through to it and um, sharing that content with others that's what we're spending our time doing at the moment as well as these podcasts and connecting you all so it's great to see that that resource is getting used and making it out into the world thank you so much
0: I think that's just about it um, for us for this week it's been lovely to be in your ears again And we've really enjoyed chatting about the story and poems that we read this week. Thank you for listening and we hope to be with you again soon.